Well, good morning, everybody. A special welcome if you're joining us for the first time. I also need to send a shout out to our Keystone High Adventure crew that are tuning in right now live from Alaska. So I don't know if you realize this, but we're kind of a big deal in Alaska right now. So all the way from Ada to there. And a great weekend to join us if you're here for the first time. We're starting a new series. It's called Creating Your Future. It's going to run uh, four weeks, and it's some of the most helpful content that I've ever come across. So I'm really excited to share it with you. And it's helpful wherever you find yourself in your spiritual journey. Like if you're here and you're kicking the tires and somebody told you they'd buy you Starbucks if you came and that's why you're here, I'm thrilled you're here too. And my goal in the next 30 minutes or so is to convince you to come back. Um, and I'll even buy your Starbucks next time. So that's how that goes. Uh, before we dig into the content, I need to give you a brief family update. As many of you know, last week I told you we got a new puppy. She is doing well. Uh, this week, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do next week to top it, but this week, big deal, we moved from a one minivan family to a two minivan family. So we are taking this thing to 11. So if you see me kind of rolling through Ada real slow... I get to drive the old one, just if you're wondering, and that, that's what's going on there. So anyway, as far as the content for today, what I want to do to get us going is ask you a question. It's a good question. It's a question y'all have an answer to. It goes like this on the screen. What do you want? And it's not like the angry, what do you want, like that, but it's like, what, what do you want? If you thought about it right now, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And I know two things about all of us. Number one, we all have an answer to that question. And number two, the answer that you would give me to that question today is not the same answer you would have given me 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years ago if you've been around that long, right? Because if you think about it, when we're kids, the answer to what do you want is often something, right? It's a toy, or it's a, uh, if you were like me growing up, a boom box. Remember those? A ghetto blaster? Uh, man, <laughs> like I lived in the ghetto. I was in Cascade, whatever. Now I've moved to Ada, so we're in a totally better spot. Anyway, um, yeah, so it could be like a toy or a phone or a laptop or a car. It's a thing. And then uh, you get into those dating years, and uh, maybe for you, if you say, what do you want? You know football season's coming soon, and homecoming is coming soon, and, and you know, you're hoping that he will be your date to homecoming, or she will be your date to homecoming, because you remember last year when you didn't have a homecoming date, and the year before when you didn't have a homecoming date, and it was really, really rough. I don't speak from experience. I was always flush with dates, <laughs> obviously. But yeah, maybe it's a, maybe it's a someone for you, or, or then maybe like after college, you know, you, you, you say, well, I want a, a spouse. I want a partner for life. I, I, I want a job, a good job, so I can start paying off my, my student loans, or or man, maybe you got the job and you got the husband or wife, but, but now you're like, man, I, I kind of, we, we want to start a family and it just hasn't happened quite yet. So that's, that's, what I, that's what I want. If you find yourself on sort of the other side of, of parenthood, maybe for you, you'd say, what do you want? It's a little more immaterial. You're like, I want peace, right? I want, and not like flower child, you know, I want like peace with my kids, peace with my parents. I want peace at work. I just, I guess I just want peace. So what, what, what do you want? It, it's, a, it's a great question, but if we're, if we're honest, it's also a, a little bit tricky question, and, and here's why, and this is where we're going to go today. Um, sometimes we get what we want, and that isn't a good thing. Have you had that experience? Like, you were convinced that this was the deal, you wanted this, but in the end, it wasn't a good thing. Or our big idea for today says it this way, uh, what we want now isn't always what we want later. And if you're a church person, this would be a great time to do the Christian mood. You know the Christian mood? It's when you go, mmm. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, what we want now isn't always what we want later. And, and so we kind of are impulsive as people because when we decide we want something, maybe this is just me, when I want something, I want it now. There was a song like that, right? I want it all and I want it now. Some of you don't know that song. You should look it up. Okay. But yeah, I want it all. We want it now. And so what often happens when we want something now is we often short circuit that process inside of us that goes, okay, is this a good thing? Or if I get this thing that I want and I want now, is it going to send my life on a trajectory that I'm not going to want later? Um, If we fail to count the cost of getting what we want, and I think that's natural, we may end up in a place we don't want to be. And that can be true relationally. It can be true vocationally. It can be true financially. That's why when you think about it, what do you want seems like a really simple question, but in reality, it's, it's more complicated because we can't always just follow our hearts and when there's not because there's not always alignment between what we want now and what we want later. And, and I can prove it to you um, if you're still, you know, want to push back on this. I can prove it to you if you've ever been to a high school reunion. You ever had one of these, anybody? Okay, because high school reunions, if nothing else, prove that unanswered prayers can be a good thing, okay? Here's what I mean, just hypothetically. <laughs> Some of you are way ahead of me on this one, right? <laughs> Woo! You remember him. He was the stuff. You were like, man, if I just, that's right. And you'd practice your first name with his last name. And if there was an I, there was a heart, wasn't there? Yes. And you're like, this is it. He's Mr. Right. Well, you haven't seen him in like 15, 20 years. And you go down to the reunion. Maybe it's at the Bob on the fourth floor. I don't know why it's always there, but it is always for me. And you go up there and you walk in and someone walks up to you wearing his name, but that clearly is not him. And you think, oh my goodness, this poor individual has picked up the wrong name tag. And he says your name and you realize because of the voice, not so much the appearance, that it's him. And you are convinced that he was the one and he, friends, was not the one, right? And you have to say something nice. So you say, man, how you've matured or something, right? Like it must be wonderful not to have to spend much on shampoo. And I can make that joke because that's me. Okay, that's just how that goes. But yeah, I mean, but you were convinced that that was what you wanted. And in the end, that was not what you wanted. And this principle is, is true relationally, but it's true in many, many areas of our lives. What we convince ourselves we want now may not be what we want later. But think about it this way. I bet your greatest regret begins with, I wanted and I got, right? I wanted it. And now what I want is to go back and not get the thing that I got because that led to one of the most painful seasons of my life. I made a list when I was writing this week um, for the past 20 years as a pastor, conversations with friends. I've literally had people say this to me. I wish I could go back and not say I do. Some of you are like, yep. Um, I wish I could go back in time and not sign the lease on that sweet minivan. Too many van references. Thank you. All right. I wish I could go back in time and not move my family to take that job. I I wish I could go back in time and fire my friends. I remember when somebody said that to me and I was like, what do you mean fire your friends? Do you pay them? No. He said, no, my friends took me one day at a time in a direction I never wanted to go to. If I could go back in time, I would fire them all and get better friends. Um, I wish I could go back in time and break up a month earlier because that that last month was not good. I wish I could go back in time and not respond to that unsolicited Facebook message because that just that response set me down a path that I wish I had never gone down. I wanted it then, but as a result, 
I got what I wanted then and I don't have what I want now. And you might even define regret this way. Regret is getting what you wanted then, but not having what you want now. That's, that's one way to think about regret. So in the end, we need to be careful what we want for. Because sometimes the thing we get that we wanted gets in the way and then we lose our way and we end up at a place that we, we really never wanted to be. Uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, you're familiar with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Uh, you may or may not know he also wrote a whole bunch of wonderful theology books helping us wrestle with things like God and life and faith. And he wrote a book called The Great Divorce, which um, if you've ever been through one, you're like, not great. But actually, as it turns out, the book is not about divorce, it's about hell, which I'm not sure if that's better or worse, but that's what he wrote. Um, and in this book, C.S. Lewis strips away all of the common imagery that comes to mind when we think of hell and, and sort of reimagines it um, as a place where Every single person there got what they wanted immediately just by thinking about it. And some of you are like, dude, that sounds like heaven, right? And that's C.S. Lewis' point, that what we want in an instant will often lead us into a reality that really isn't what we want. And so what he describes as hell is this sprawling city that is ever moving outward because no one needs anyone else's help. And so everyone around everyone else is annoying. And so they just keep moving farther and farther apart. See, so this is like getting what you want in the moment really isn't heaven. Uh, in fact, the ultimate of that would be, would be hell. So, so, okay, now that we all feel completely hopeless because we can't sure we can trust what we want, uh, what I want to do the rest of our time is talk about, okay, what do, we, what do we do with this? How do we learn to align our wants for now with our ultimate wants? And actually, it's going to be a, a longer conversation than just today. I'm going to introduce it today, and then we'll unpack some specifics over the next few weeks. But how do we make the mistake of trading our preferred future for momentary pleasure? And fortunately for us all, uh, the Bible speaks to this tension directly. According to the biblical writers, there are two ways to live, and there's two ways for us to make a choice. We can do what's natural and follow our hearts and, and follow those natural impulses and sort of react to those in a moment. But as we've already said, that may not be the best plan. Or, well, there's another, there's another option. And so to share that with you, um, I want to tell you about a collection of wisdom in the Old Testament of your Bible. So a thousand years before the time of Jesus, Israel was ruled by a king named Solomon. Solomon is regarded as one of the wealthiest people ever to walk the face of the earth and also one of the wisest people. He's the one that got to build the first temple to God in Jerusalem, in Israel. He collected things, but he also collected wisdom because he believed that wisdom really does have the power to make life better. It was the most precious thing, more precious than any of his possessions. And he believed that the greatest gift he could give to future generations was not his stuff, but was the wisdom of his day, because he again believed that it could shape our lives in all sorts of wonderful ways. So consider with me how he warns his readers about what they want and where it may lead you. And again, the collection of wisdom made its way into the Old Testament. It's called Proverbs. Solomon says this, there is a way that appears to be right. Like everything in us is like, I want that. That's where I should go. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And Solomon knows that our tendency is to make choices based on what we want in a moment, but our instincts will often betray us. So, so Solomon says, listen, your wants aren't always gonna push you in the direction of your preferred future. In fact, your wants may actually lead you to death. And we wanna call time out and go, Solomon, come on, buddy. That's a little melodramatic, right? Death? I mean, do you really mean death? I would argue that he's exaggerating to make a point here. 
Um, it can certainly be that way, but I think he's speaking more categorically. And if you spent any time on planet Earth, you probably know this. There's more than one way to die, right? And I don't mean like falling off a building or falling off a bridge, but, but like we can die to intimacy. We can die to our potential. We can die in the context of our relationship with our kids. I think we've all seen marriages die. We've seen financial futures die. We've seen potential die. And so Solomon is basically just saying that what, getting what we want now may hurt us later. Okay, we've already covered that. So Solomon, what is the other option? And what he's going to say here is that you can either follow what comes naturally inside of you, or you can seek wisdom outside of yourself and allow that to shape your choices as you create your future. Here's how he says it uh, earlier in the same book. He says, trust in the Lord. So he's talking about God. So trust God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, okay? There's gonna be times God is gonna say, go right. You're gonna wanna go left. He's like, go right. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. He will direct your path. If you allow his wisdom to speak to your choices, you will create a future that you actually want to live in. In other words, don't trust your heart. Trust God with your heart. It's like God is going to teach you to take, consider the long-term consequences of your choices. And if you can weigh that against the immediate gratification of getting what you want, you will actually make better choices and you will live a better life. Because the reality is, some paths are better left untraveled. And what I want to do with the rest of our time is explore one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It's found in Proverbs. Um, and it's a vivid example of this principle. Um, as many of you know, um, I was a student ministry pastor for 15 years before coming to Keystone. And when I would get a chance to speak in California or Florida or Colorado or wherever, and they just say, come in and hit them with something. Not literally, right? This is a passage I would often go to because it is so, so powerful. The truth it contains awakens us to real danger in our lives. And it's no less true for adults than it is for students. Uh, but in the context of Solomon's um, account here, there's a young man involved. So uh, it's found in Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 6. Here's what Solomon tells us. He says, At the window of my house, which would have been the palace, so he's being modest, at the window of my house, I looked through the lattice, okay? So there weren't glass panes on his windows, just sort of a lattice thing going on there. Um, I saw among the simple, and he's not picking, he's the king. I saw among the normal people, and I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. Now, Solomon is not picking on this guy. He's basically saying, listen, he's so young, he doesn't really understand the choices and consequences thing. He just hasn't lived long enough, so he doesn't have judgment like he will have later in life. Then he continues. He says, he was going down the street near her corner. And already you want to call time out and go, uh-oh, you with me on this? Right? Not good. Uh, going down the street near her corner. I'm sure she's just selling pastries. Walking, <laughs> walking in the direction of her house at twilight. And some of you just went like, Edward, Bella. Right. As the day, as the day was fading and as the dark of night set in. So you just imagine with me, he's looking out the palace window. The sun is setting on Jerusalem. If you were a photographer, this is the magic hour, right? And all of a sudden, you know, this young man is going on a journey and he walks out and he sees, or he's going in the direction of the, this woman. Now, if this were a movie and we were watching the movie, this would be the point in the movie where inside you would want to say, oh no, don't do that, right? 
There's a, there, this is not going to go well. Don't do it. You would not say it out loud. You would say it just in your head. That's how it goes. Um, once, I actually went to a movie in Brooklyn Heights, outside of New York City. This is a picture of Brooklyn Heights. Uh, some of you remember it from the Sesame Street. Remember that? Anyway, I, I was visiting a friend. It was my first time in New York City. And he said to me, listen, there's a couple things you got to do first time in New York City. you got to go see the Statue of Liberty. He's like, it's really an awful, long, horrible experience, but you got to do it. And you got to go see a Broadway show. Those are the two things. And he said, and then the other thing we need to do is we need to go to a movie in Brooklyn. And I said, well, I don't know if you remember, he's from here. I said, in Ada, we have movies. Okay, so I'm in New York City. I don't want to go to a movie. He said, oh, no, you don't go to a movie in New York City to watch the movie. You go to a movie in New York City to watch the people of Brooklyn watch the movie. And I said, really? And he said, oh, yeah, it'll be like the highlight of your trip. And it was. So, so we get the popcorn. We get there early. We get in the back of the theater. It's one of those scary movies, right? We get in the back of the theater. So I got my popcorn going on. And I'm like, why are we in the back of the theater? And he's like, you just wait. You're not even going to believe it. Pretty soon, the theater's full of people of Brooklyn to watch a scary movie. And the movies, you know, the credits start, and then all of a sudden, the scene starts to unfold. And pretty soon, there's like the monster behind the door, and there's a woman walking towards the door. And all of a sudden, all around me, people start going, oh, girl, do not go there. Big monster. Guy next to me, bad idea. Don't do it. Bad idea. It was so awesome. It was the best movie I've ever seen. But anyway. So this is just the sense. That's the tension that you feel in the story. Let's go to the next slide. So we learn a little bit about this woman. Uh, then out came a woman. So he's walking out. Out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. And you're like, oh my goodness. All of a sudden, I see where this is going. And then in the next verse, you're like, I wonder what crafty intent means. And Solomon tells us, she is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Can you believe that? I don't even know what that means. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she, and what does it say? Lurks. Isn't that a great description? When I think of lurk, you know what I think of? Gollum. You with me? Like, my precious. Yeah, it's just awesome. And so you're like, I wonder, she's lurking. I wonder what she, she intends to do with this young man, because apparently she's not just lurking for the sake of lurking. And as Solomon continues, we learn she has plans for him. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, and you're like, what is she going to say? Remember, it's 3,000 years ago. What she says is not what we're expecting. It's not what she'd probably say today in a similar situation. Here's what she says. I have fellowship offerings at home. Today, I fulfilled my vows. You're like, okay. Uh, so You're like, this is why I don't read the Bible. Okay. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I have found you. Okay, what she's basically just said is, look, I'm not a prostitute. I'm dressed like one, but I'm not one. I'm just fashion forward. Okay. <laughs> she also says she's been to the temple in Jerusalem and she's square with God, which is a strange detail given what she's about to do, uh, but it's good to know, I guess. Okay. So as she continues, we learn that she's actually made preparations for him or for a him. She's apparently been hunting. Check out what she says next. She says, I have covered my bed with the colored linens from Egypt. And some of you just went, for 3,000 years, Egyptian cotton has been the world standard. <laughs> Amazing what you learn in the Bible, right? Uh, colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's go to my place, make some toast, and see what's on Netflix this month. <laughs> That's not what she says, you know. There, there was like one millennial who's like, when did Netflix come out? It's been in my whole life. I don't know. Here's what she really says. 
She says, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And you're thinking, man, this guy, I mean, this is like, I mean, this has apparently been happening for thousands of years, but, but man, I mean, I, th- this is not going well. As she continues, it goes even worse. Check this out. She says, my husband, that's like hashtag oh snap. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, which means he'll be gone a while, and will not be home till full moon. And he's probably like, full moon? When was the last full moon? I don't remember, right? I, I, I guess she may know, but yeah. So, so this is basically not just a scantily clad woman seducing a young man on a street corner. This is a married, scantily clad woman seducing a young man on a street corner. So uh, Solomon now uh, kind of breaks away from the story and gives us a bit of commentary. Here's what Solomon tells us. He says, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Isn't that great? You're like, dude, that's a little melodramatic. He's not done. Ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. You're like, dude, this is getting a little dramatic. Like a bird darting into a snare. You're like, Solomon, we got it. It's a bad plan. Little knowing it will cost him his life. And so Solomon is basically saying, this young man is throwing away his future and possibly his life because he's following something that in the moment he wanted. Everything in him in this moment went, this is a good idea. Husband's out of town. And, and you know what, what, what possibly could go wrong? And we're watching it as outsiders going, dude, what possibly could go right? Like, this is not a good plan. Solomon would say he's inviting death to invade his life by following what he wants in the moment. And, and you just think, well, if the young man could read Solomon's mind, I think what he would say would be like, dude, what does an old man know about romance? And I think Solomon, in this hypothetical exchange, might respond, dude, I'm not talking about romance. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about what you want now and what you want later. Because it's so easy to trade what we want for later for what we want now and to end up at the end of our lives with nothing but regret. I mean, that's a little dramatic, but with a lot of regret. Because, man, if I could go back, I would do it again. And Solomon is saying to all of us, listen, you can't go back. You can only go forward. So, man, learn from those who've gone before you or maybe your own story. And then as you move forward, live your life kind of with the ultimate goal in mind. Because if you do that and you keep your eyes on that, then all of a sudden you'll make better choices now. So Solomon continues. Um, He says this. He says, now then, my sons and my daughters, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. He's like, come on, come on, lean in, lean in. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. So you start to see here, like this may have actually happened, but he's sort of, he's sort of talking about wise living in general. There's a lot of different ways this scenario plays out. We're seduced by different things that promise us life, but in the end, don't bring us the life they promise. So do not let your heart turn. Can we go back one second? Uh, do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her past. And in the next slide, he says, uh, many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. It's almost like he says, listen, this is so common. We all do this. Psalm would say, I've done this, right? Where I've, this woman sort of personifies the wants 
of the moment. He says, you, you just don't go there. Don't lean in because it doesn't end well. This, this woman is writing a script for your future and you're not gonna like the story that she's telling. You're like a dead man walking. You'll regret this for the rest of your life. And just in case, um, you know, Solomon's like, I wanna make sure they really get this. Like, I really want this to haunt them in wonderful ways. Here's what he says as he concludes the passage. Her house is a highway to the grave. Isn't that great? Solomon's like, dude, take it. You know, try the decaf, not okay. All right, her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. And again, he's just so melodramatic. He wants us to get this. And so what we see here is that this is nothing unique, right? This is a 3,000-year-old account. And people have been living this way for thousands of years. And so Solomon looks out the window and he sees a young man striving to prove his independence. But paradoxically, he's choosing a well-worn path that will strip him of his independence. And if you think about it, um, I mean, I've seen friends do this in all sorts of different ways, and, and so have you. People that we love, people that we care about, and we can see it and they can't see it, but what they want in the moment sort of eclipses the life they really want to build, that, cre- that future they really want to create for themselves. And you're like Solomon looking out your window and you're like, bad idea, path of death, right? And they're just like, no, this is great. This is what I want. And you're thinking, this is not going to end well. And sometimes it's a teenager and sometimes it's a friend, but it's like, we, we watch them do this and we think, but this is not wise. And for some reason, your heart is eclipsing your brain in this moment. You just can't see it. I made a list of, of three kind of categories for me as I interact with people that this seems to surface. The first is in regards to relationships. I, I spoke to a friend recently who'd been through a, a bad divorce about a year ago, and she, uh, she basically said, you know, it didn't work because he didn't really have a spiritual side. And so what I've been praying for and waiting for is a man with a spiritual pulse who will sort of come alongside of me in the journey of life and faith. So we can sort of do the mutual sacrifice thing like Jesus teaches. That's really what I want. And praying and praying and praying and praying. And pretty soon feeling like, okay, God is not listening, um, and, and I am lonely, and so, um, I, so the criteria are going to shift a bit. Uh, if, if, if Mr. Wright with wings, angel wings on doesn't show up by Tuesday, then I'm just going to find somebody who can spell God as long as they're cute. <laughs> and I'm literally thinking, okay, this is a bad plan, right? I get the loneliness thing, and it's good to have companionship. You should get a dog, okay? Like... You don't want to invite somebody into your life who isn't going to be leaning in the same direction you are spiritually. You've already proved that to yourself. But see, the loneliness eclipses, the heart eclipses the mind, and we do things that, that we later regret. I don't know how many times I've talked to friends with regards to finances, and they say, man, I want financial stability. I want a plan for my future, but, but I just want this now. And it might not be this, this that is, is the problem, but it's like a this that keeps moving and the debt load keeps growing. And this is why Dave Ramsey sells out Van Andel Arena when he comes and talks about financial makeovers. Because we live in a culture that's constantly telling us, man, you need this. This will make you happy. This is the thing you're missing. This is going to make life great. And in the end, we're like, okay, but all we ended up with was like a bigger payment at the end of the month. And if you do that long enough, it, it doesn't lead to where you want to go. And your friends and my friends, they can see it. And they go, man, this is not a good plan, right? It's like everything you're buying, you're not going to want in like three weeks to a month. It's, it's like you need to wake up. I've also seen it happen when, when people talk to me about you know, developing a, a relationship with God. People would say, you know, I, I, I read the Bible and I read about these people that had a sense that God was walking with them and he was for them and he was in the trenches with them. And I want that sort of faith. 
It's like I do the church thing, but I just feel like there's more. I said, well, there is more. And like what, what it means is it's like you spending time in prayer. And it's awkward when you start. It's awkward for everybody when you start. But I said, you just got to start. You carve out some time. You open the Bible. You read a little bit of the story. You ask God to speak to you through the story that you're reading. And then you spend some time in prayer. And this particular friend said to me, you know, I, I just don't have time. I said, okay, so you want this deep relationship with God, but you don't have time. And I said, let me ask you a question. Do you have an iPhone or an Android device? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, okay, well, do you find, I said, this is me, I'm not judging. In my, maybe a little, in my life, <laughs> in my life, every idle moment that I have, I have to resist the urge to grab my phone and check Instagram and check Facebook. Have you ever encountered either of these sites? And of course she said, well, <laughs> of course, right? I mean, in Vivid Online Profile, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I said, I would argue that you're trading that immediate want to feed the social media machine for the ultimate, and it's not bad to feed the social media machine, but it's like, you need to reallocate some time if that's the future you wanna create for yourself, if that's a relationship that you wanna cultivate, it's going to take time. So I'm gonna um, land with just a, a question for you just to think about, um, and then we'll pick it up again next week, but is there alignment between what you want now and what you want later? Is there alignment between what you want now and what you want later? And, and the great news is that, that God, your heavenly father, wants more for you and for me. He doesn't want anything from us. He wants something for us. He wants to help us create the future that we were made to live in, that future in which we thrive. But in order to get there, we have to have a conversation about what we value the most. Because we could spend our entire lives chasing an endless list of wants, relational wants, physical wants, things we can buy, places we can travel, and end up not finding ourselves at that place where we really want to be. So the good news is, wherever you find yourself now in this moment, whatever regrets you carried into the tent, that's okay. We, you can't go back. But that the God who made you and who loves you is inviting you to move forward with him and create the future he designed for you. Again, that future in which you will thrive. He wants to help you align the now and the later. Would you stand and I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we just say thank you for loving us. Thank you for speaking truth into our lives. Thank you for bringing light into our darkness. And we confess that so often what we want isn't what we need. Um, and so I pray that over the next few weeks as we unpack uh, the question of values and, and what drives our lives, I pray that through your spirit you would move in each of us, that we would have some honest moments of reflection, that you would help us create our preferred future uh, in which you are at the center. And so we thank you for your truth. We bless you. We love you and desire to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. All right, grace and peace, friends. One more week in the tent. We'll see you next week.